Lamping here, PHRA's Executive Director. Welcome to PHRA's podcast, P4, People, Purpose, Passion, Pittsburgh. P4 is brought to you by our members and sponsors, Lattice and the University of Pittsburgh, Executive MBA Programs, and the Center for Executive Education. We appreciate their support, and we'll hear from them throughout the podcast, beginning with the University of Pittsburgh Executive MBA Programs and Center for Executive Education. Especially in times of uncertainty and challenge, America needs exceptional leaders to guide our healthcare institutions. The highly ranked executive MBA in healthcare at the Joseph M. Katz Graduate School of Business at the University of Pittsburgh is designed to empower and enable leaders to think critically, make informed decisions, and inspire confidence. Forge your path into healthcare innovation by visiting business.pitt.edu/slash EMBA healthcare. In episode seven, Pete Schramm, P4 host, and Janet Manuel discuss how coaching and mentorship can truly impact someone's life and career. Janet, good afternoon. Good to have you here. Excited to learn more about all the different things you've done throughout this phenomenal uh, Pittsburgh career in this HR realm. You're a people person. You love it. Uh, I got to learn a little bit more about uh, your background earlier this afternoon. So excited to hear about who you are, how you got to where you are today, and the Janet Manuel story. Oh, well, Peter, I'm excited to share with you and those that will be watching and listening. And, and I hope what I say will be of some assistance to someone in, who wants to get into this profession, who, who, are, who is currently in this profession, but probably saying, let me get out of it. Don't get out of it. <laughs> I'm going to help them why, you know, help them know why this is the best profession in the world. I love it. I love it. So, Janet, how did you get into HR? Where did this whole story, where did this journey begin? I tell this story, and it's the truth, and people think I'm not being honest, but it really started at McDonald's. Let me give a shout out to anyone who is a teenager working at McDonald's. They really help guide you. And I was working on the French fry station. And one day the manager says, Janet, we need someone to work with our new people, give them their uniform, show them where the time clock is, give them the employee handbook, uh, give them a tour around the facility and help them get acclimated and get ready for the first day at work. Well, you're talking to a teenager who was like, I get off of the French fry station. You're, you're wanting me just to talk to people. <laughs> And I'm still going to get paid the same amount of money that I am. You got it. I'll do it. Little did I know at that time, that was known as general orientation. <laughs> and I fell in love with, with, with it ever since. And so I really started in the professional arena as an HR assistant and payroll coordinator. I started from the bottom and I worked my way up to the top. I, I was an HR generalist uh, to an HR manager Worked, received a promotion all the way from Oklahoma to Pennsylvania to be a regional HR manager with oversight and responsibility for 10 facilities in the long-term care industry. Switched over to still in healthcare, the managed care industry and continued to work my way up to manager and to director and to area director and then to vice president. All of that was in the private sector. And pause, because you know five years ago, uh, the former mayor, Mayor William Peduto, 
made a call to HR professionals in the private sector, who wants to come and take a break and come into the public sector, help change the landscape of who they were, help modernize it, help bring it to its respective standards. And so this is a story, Peter, that they tell me. And that is that me and over 250 others applied and it dwindled down to the top three, which yours truly was one of them. And then I was presented before the mayor and the uh, chief of staff and I got the position. And I started as deputy director for, uh, deputy director of HR for the city of Pittsburgh. And I was only in that role for a year. And they're like, okay, the current director is going to leave. You are now going to be acting director. I only acted as director for two weeks. I was called to the mayor's office and said, you can stop acting. We're gonna to propose to city council that you will be the permanent director. Uh, normally people are to act for over 90 days, but uh, he was pretty impressed. He says, ever since you joined, even though you were deputy director, you still were running the show <laughs> and getting things together. And so that's how I transitioned into this government world of mine that I have to say has truly sealed the circle for me in my HR career. I truly love it. You know, my title with the city is director of HR and civil service and the EEO and DNI officer. I always tease everyone. Your first title is really what you were hired for. And if you have an and attached, that means you were doing good and they gave you more work. And I'm good with that. Um, but I oversee all aspects of HR. You know, there's 3,500 employees that work for the city of Pittsburgh during our summer months and temporary season. Uh, we have over 4,200. So my responsibility is overseeing all eight aspects of HR management, you know, the policies and practices and operations. So whether it's payroll, training and development, talent acquisition, risk management, safety, health and wellness, benefits, civil service. We even have an area known as Pittsburgh Partnership that ties in with our summer learn and earn program for the youth and then the EARN program that assists city residents uh, regaining employment. So listen, for anyone that is looking to get into this career as the best profession in the entire world, HR is the only profession that impacts a person's life throughout their whole workforce. So from start to finish, you meet them from the interview or, you know, you've got your, your career fair, but then HR is still impacting that person's life uh, and their work life all throughout that career. And even when they leave the organization, guess who still has to conduct the exit interview, still speak to them about their COBRA benefits, et cetera, pension, retirement plans, that is still HR. So it's been a great profession. I wouldn't trade it for the world. I love it. So Janet, th thanks for that, that overview. I pulled up your title on LinkedIn. It says Director, Human Resources and 
civil services and EEO diversity <laughs> and inclusion officer. So what you said in that, that summary there was if you have an and, it means they're putting more stuff on your plate. I see three ands in there. So are you trying to tell me that your, your plate's kind of full? You got a lot of things going on right now? You know, I, I balance it very well. <laughs> it's a lot, but it's it's fun to do. I'm, I'm not complaining at all. It, it really is. It's, it's good. I love it. And so what uh, are some of the degrees that, that you got along the way? Was there some educational training that you got that helped you along this path? Yeah, one, you, you start with life lessons. And I have to give shout out to, may they rest in peace, my dad and mom, Charles and Rosie Mitchell. You know, that education always starts at home, right? So that's where it really started for me. Two, the formal education. Um, I received my bachelor's degree from Cameron University in Lawton, Fort Sill, Oklahoma. Yay, go Aggies. And so I was completing my master's degree at Oklahoma University. And that's when I was tapped on the shoulder. We have a promotion opportunity for you. I paused, <laughs> interviewed for the promotion opportunity. My parents were still alive at the time and they were like, aren't you working on your master's degree? What is this about a promotion? And you're going to leave Oklahoma. I was like, don't worry. I'll finish my degree, I promise. <laughs> I accepted the promo. They transferred and moved me from Oklahoma to Pennsylvania. And then I went to Robert Morris University and completed my master's uh, degree in organizational studies with a dual concentration in leadership and employee relations. So I did complete that. I also went on to uh, continue, you know, that's, you know, you had your degrees and then all of a sudden this wave of, hey, get your certifications. So I have both certifications. I have my PHR through HRCI and then also I have my SHRM CP. Uh, so it just gives you that well-rounded experience. You have the, the theory and the knowledge, but the work experience is one thing to go to school and it's one thing to have your certifications, but it's another thing to be able to apply or transfer that theory into practicality. It's one thing to read about FMLA, but how do you make it operate in the workplace? And that's the beauty and the excitement that I love about being in HR. I've got the theory and the practicality of it as well. It's a good mix. And you've seen it from the private sector, the public sector, a couple of different uh, you know, stops along this journey. And by no means are you anywhere close to being done. So as we think about some of that, you know, migrating from theory to knowledge, to work experience and practicality, mm -hmm. uh, putting it to use. Janet, if you get to choose one kind of top trend in this world of HR right now, what, what comes to mind? What's, what's top of mind for everybody that has an HR in their title, uh, whether it's before or after the end? Peter, that's a great question and I love it. I'm going to answer it, but let me say this. What Y2K did for IT, COVID-19 has now done for the profession of human resources. It has catapulted us and put us on the forefront. It has, listen, we've always known we're great. We've always known that we've been the heartbeat of any organization, but this has now pushed us forward and we are in the spotlight. We are in the limelight and everyone is now saying, I don't know all these answers. Let's go to human resources. 
We need their advice. We need their assistance. And so with that, that is what's so great about it. What is coming out of it that is going to be around for quite some time to answer your question. And that is the health and wellness piece. Self-care has always been spoken of in the past. And people kind of, you know, plausated as, oh, go get your manicure, go get a, a pedicure, go to a spa. But self-care, what we're teaching, even for the city of Pittsburgh, is that it's about the whole self. And that topic is trending now more than ever because of COVID. But it is going to be around for quite some time, even post the pandemic, because it has been a topic that has been neglected, that it should have always been focused on. And that is to let people know your health and wellness, your well-being, your whole self matters. And you cannot be this productive employee or a productive person for society as a whole if you don't take care of yourself first. And self-care isn't selfish. It's just a, more of a top priority. And that's one of the top HR trend topics that will continue for quite some time. I say it's a trend, but I think it's just going to, it's not going to be a trend because trends are like, it's important today and not tomorrow. It is an HR topic that is going to remain precedent. And it is making sure that employers recognize that they have to do everything for their employees for them to be well, whether it's mentally as well as uh, physically. That is one of the HR topics that I'm glad to hear that is not going to go away. Whenever you talk about that, it seems like it's much more relational and a lot less transactional. Typically, we think of the history of HR, just check the box, go through it, yell at you, here's your, here's your payroll, here's your benefits, boom, out, next person comes in the door. Yes. And everything that you're talking is about the person. And you said it's whenever you're at work, you're here, but then you leave and you're still a person at home outside exactly. of the office. Did you know, Janet, that uh, well-being and mindfulness of employees was uh, trending down? down, 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 not good. And then at COVID, beginning of COVID, it yeah. all went up, right? Everybody was like, yeah, we're going to do all this stuff, invest in our people. And then what happened is we started instituting things that weren't sustainable, weren't scalable, and it wasn't as much of a priority. So yeah. would you believe that now at this current, well, over the last like one or two months, whenever the study came out, we're at a lower point of well-being and mindfulness now than we were before the start of the pandemic. So things did get better, but we need to put these kind of solutions in place uh, that can you know, scale and be here for the long term. They're not just a trend. It's not just a flavor of the week. It's something that we need to prioritize. And if we don't, well, we saw the great resignation. We're seeing this, the turnover tsunami. It's hit us and it's impacting everybody. Exactly. I know people say it's the great resignation or the great reshuffling. I say that it's the great re-evaluation. People, if we've learned anything, from COVID, people have lost loved ones. I personally lost a sibling who passed away in December of 2020, who lost her battle with COVID. If there's anything any of us have learned, and that is that life and time is so valuable and you make it the best that you can and you spend as much time with your loved ones as much as you can. No one has ever said on their deathbed, wow, I wish I spent more time at work. They're always talking about the things that they wish they would have done with family, with friends, or just to do for themselves. 
that is what is important. And that is what employers, I know that is one of the things that I'm driving home for the city of Pittsburgh. And I've had the pleasure to do that for the five years. We elevated health and wellness and was talking about uh, mental well-being and the whole self ever since I joined. And it, employers have to take notice. If not, they will continue to lose more employees. Employees are wanting to work for employers who are concerned about them, not just as a number, not as a, a widget master, but as a true person and what they can really bring to the workplace. I love it, Janet. And before we talked a little bit about mentors and how those kinds of folks impacted your lives, influenced you, and I'm starting to see more and more of these ties together, how you're, you know, all this different wisdom, how mm -hmm. has it come, these different things that you prioritize in life? And I'm wondering, did some of this advice, some of this guidance come, come from mentors along the way? And is that something that you see as a lever to pull uh, to, you know, you know, better, better uh, support uh, our employees today? I have had mentors. Here's the sad part of having mentors. All of my mentors were males. I didn't have any female mentors. So that is why I'm an advocate for girls and women. And I have become their mentors and, and coach because I never had that in my profession. It's sad to say all of my mentors and coaches were males. I'm appreciative of every last one of them. They taught me skills that some female mentors or coaches, if I had any, probably wouldn't. Why? Because it was still male-dominated industry of leadership. So I am glad that they took the opportunity to take this person, me, under their wings and show me the ins and outs. There is a difference between being a mentor and a coach. I love being a mentor, but I love being a coach even better. And from what I learned from those gentlemen who started out as a mentor, giving me advice, letting you know me use them as a sounding board. But when they became my coach, it catapulted and changed everything for me from my career standpoint. They were giving me the insight scoops of how to make sure that I signed on for different projects, how I raised my hand to go and travel and do different things because that would help me from a career elevation standpoint. They introduced me uh, to people who were the movers and shakers in the organizations. They said my name, even when I wasn't present in the room. That matters. When it comes time for people to realize who they want to elevate or move up, that coaching aspect that I received from those gentlemen made a great impact in my life and in my career. I'm very appreciative to them for what they've done. And I've taken that and I now mentor not only girls and women, but also young boys and men, because my thought is, it's open field, right? I'm not going to just pick and choose, but I'm going to, you know, pour into everyone that wants to be in this profession, because I believe in it that much. I've seen it change from being that you know, policy person or just planning the holiday parties to really being a strategic partner. And what we say in the meeting rooms and while we have that seat at the table helps move the business forward. 
That's the beauty of HR. I've seen it from what it was to what it is now. And I look forward to what it's going to be in, in the next five to 10 years as well. So you're right, Peter. I'm just getting started. <laughs> you're just getting started. And there's so many great folks that have, have helped you out. And it's awesome to hear how you're kind of paying it forward. Right. And you say, hey, if, if you want to go places, you got a good head on your shoulders, you want to you want to make this make things happen, then come along for the ride. Right. Don't care about where you came from. Let's figure out where you're going in, in the future. Um, there's a couple of events that are coming up. Uh, was it She Leads, She Learns? Uh, yes. There's some work with Junior Achievement. So we'll have to have a whole nother conversation around uh, getting involved with some of the, some of the youth and other uh, those yes. um, you know, support uh, initiatives around, around the Pittsburgh region. It's exciting to see yes. what's going on. So Jenny, you rattled off a couple of different uh, tips and tools and processes and advice and guidance that these mentors shared with you. If you were to pick out one, say, hey, this is the best piece of advice I got from this professional development, personal development perspective. What's, what's that one that you know, keeps bubbling up to the top of your mind? Yeah, it's, it's twofold. Always tell the truth and don't overpromise and underdeliver. So that was advice given to me. And so I now in turn give that back. And it is so helpful. And I stand by it. I'm appreciative of the mentors and coaches who, who have taught me multiple things, but that is one, one core thing that really stands out. Always tell the truth and don't uh, overpromise and underdeliver. You know, my mom would also say, you know, my, my uh, word is my bond and my bond is my word. If I tell you I'm going to do something, then I will do it. And especially early on in our careers, that's all we have is our, our name and our brand. And Correct. we haven't accomplished a whole lot. So if I can't, uh, you know, accomplish my tasks and say, hey, I'm going to do this and then follow through on it and, and achieve it in a timely manner, then I can't keep up to my word. And without that, you know, that's my foundation. That that's is true. That we're building on. We can't build on a, you know, unsturdy, uh, disruptive foundation. Right. Oh, boy. All right. So as we keep moving forward here, Janet. Uh, you, you talked about, you know, the, you, you'll engage and interact with other people. They might be, you know, male to female, young to old, white to black, right? Different, uh, you know, people on so many different levels. I bet there's different cultures. You mentioned, you know, the mm -hmm. whole move from the South to the North. I bet that, yeah. you know, impacted you. And this common theme that we're seeing right now, and I, I, it's, it's more than a trend, right? DEI uh, yeah. is here and it's something that has to be, you know, top of mind. And we can approach it from a couple of different perspectives. But, you know, from your you know, point of view, 4,200 people in the summer times, that's a lot of folks, a lot it's of different not. people. Um, so what's one thing, one tip that you'd share with everybody watching, listening? What can we do when it comes to diversity, equity, inclusion, belonging? Uh, something that we can take with us from here. Yeah. Do not be afraid to honestly talk about it in the workplace and in your personal life. Look. There's a myth that is about diversity, equity, and inclusion and belonging, right, Deb, that someone will have to lose out for someone to gain when it comes to the conversation of diversity, equity, and inclusion and belonging. That is a myth. That is a farce. Do not believe the hype. No one has to lose out for DEI to really be intertwined into your workplace. 
What we are asking for is for an equitable chance and opportunity. Just because all of us have the same ladder to stand on does not mean we can see over the fence. We may need a couple of extra steps on one ladder so everyone can see over the fence. That's really what equity is about. It's not so much giving a handout, but that is what we're talking about when we talk about equity, making sure that the processes are given so everyone has that fair chance. Because we know that that's, you know, the truth of how America was built is on lies and it's not really truthful at all aspects. Our history of America is not pretty. Let's just be honest about it. And not everything was copacetic and, and you know, we're still paying homage to Christopher Columbus for discovering America, but you can't really discover something when people are already there. So let's just be truthful about diversity, equity, and inclusion and belonging and be honest, but not only truthful about and having that conversation, but what actions are we in our workplaces, in our personal lives, what are we going to do about it? One of my favorite stories about diversity, equity, and inclusion is the character Franklin in The Peanuts. Charles Schultz, there was a school teacher who wrote to multiple cartoonists after um, the shooting of MLK. Charles Schultz was the only cartoonist who responded. She wanted an African-American character created to help the black and brown children of the world to see themselves in this peanuts, in this peanuts uh, organization so they could see themselves, you know? Um, and Charles Schultz was the only one that responded and he created the character Franklin. And he also stated, by creating this character, even though the character's color was different from others, he got the most pushback ever in all of his career, but he stood firm. And actually the newspaper did not want to publish the strip with Franklin in it. And Charles Schultz stood firm on his belief about diversity, equity, and inclusion, even before it was a coined phrase and said, either you publish it as I have written it, or I will resign. That is the place where we have to be for diversity, equity, and inclusion. It's not so much that someone is going to lose out, but it's acknowledging the wrong of our past and making something right. That's what I love about diversity, equity, and inclusion. And no one has to lose out at all the unfairness and the inequities that have existed for centuries within the US has never been right. And because people are standing up and saying, let's make it right, you cannot say, well, someone has to now lose out. That's not true. When you look at the characters of Peanuts, you still see all the other characters that were still from the origination, Charlie Brown, Snoopy, Lucy, Linus. But you now have Franklin. He didn't take anything away, but he added. That is the beauty of diversity, equity, and inclusion and belonging.
it's not a handout, but it's rather a hand up, not uh, a golden ticket, but a golden opportunity. I love the analogy that you have there of saying, hey, you know, there's a fence. So we got to be able to look over this fence in order to achieve what we're, what we're going for. Yeah. And so, some people might need a couple more books to, to step up on to look over that. Uh, and, you know, again, we're not taking books away from anybody else. We're not lowering yeah. anybody else. It's just saying, hey, so you, you might need a little bit more over here. That's where mentors yeah. can help us out. That's where the other people can help us yeah. out. But it comes from the top, right? And yeah. the buy-in, and this, that culture. And I think this is what you're establishing you know, across the city of Pittsburgh. I think what Mayor Ganey is doing across the city of Pittsburgh is emphasize and say, hey, again, just like yeah. you did with, with, with some of your, your mentees, right? You want to come along for this ride? Come along for the party? Let's do this, right? Let's, let's make some great things happen Absolutely. together. Now, Absolutely. Now, whenever somebody might walk into your office and they start off a conversation, maybe it's around DEI, uh, maybe it's around some of the professional development. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it says, hey, I want to be the, the CEO by tomorrow. Does that, ever, does that ever come up, right? Younger up-and-comers. They say, I yeah. want this. I want it now. I deserve it. And you might have to sit him down for a second and say, hey, um, let's talk through a little, little, little bit of feedback here. and give, Walk us through what does that look like? Some constructive feedback, uh, sharing some thoughts. Uh, how do you go through that process? Yeah, that has never happened to me at all. No one has ever said, oh, I can do your job. Not at all. <laughs> Just kidding. I had one of my employees when I first started, she said to me, I want to move up in HR so I can be in the corner office like you. And I said, wow, that's great. And so she sat in on a meeting that I had and she saw how it actually happened. And after the meeting concluded, she said, "Um, you can forget it. I don't want what you have to deal with. You've made it look too easy. But then I think, you know, when it comes to constructive feedback and and helping to guide people, you have to be very honest with them and and let them know. Um, I'm glad I made it look easy. And that means I've kept my, you know, composure through everything. But one, you have to be honest with constructive feedback. Do not beat around the bush. Don't give, you know, the what ifs. But more importantly, emphasize their effort for wanting to do something, right? And it may not have been the exact way. I think when it comes to constructive feedback, people immediately go in and say, this is what you should be doing and this is why, versus acknowledging the effort or the thought process that an individual may have had to even try and attempt to do what they were doing. Then you tie in with the feedback and say, I appreciate what you were trying to do. And this is why it may not have worked, but I can understand where you may have thought it may have. But let's look at it in its totality, in the full picture, and help people understand that when they're making decisions and when they are a member of the C-suite, that we're not just looking or making decisions based on people's emotions or the sad stories. It's not that we're heartless because we're not, but you have to make decisions with your head and that will make sure that you are not uh, being inequitable, that you are not, you know, have been so mobile in your decisions. You're making a very thoughtful, well-formed, thought-out reason. And then you share that with them because you also want them to know you're giving this feedback or this information to make them better. This is not to bring them down. This is not to make them think that they don't have the capability to do anything on their own. But if they adhere to the advice, 
then that would help them. And so I used one of my employees in the workplace today who two years ago had been my right-hand person through all of this COVID aspect, who was, you know, kind of scared to move on her own. And so when COVID hit and the FFCRA and all these other regulations came into place, my leave of absence coordinator was there with me right by my side through everything of the implementation of everything we've done for the city. And so she is soon to receive a promotion based on her work, her taking constructive feedback and, and, and applying it. It's one thing to receive the feedback, but if you don't apply it, then it's all for naught. And so that's where people should not take it personally because it's not, or don't make it personal because it's not. It really is for their development and for their improvement. Appreciate the energy to progress and grow together and help people understand that, you know, you, you got to take steps from here. Mm -hmm. We're in this together. This is not an I versus you. This Absolutely. is a, us. Uh, I, I love that piece. And whenever you know, people are, are doing something, they might do it the wrong way. There's still some energy and some thought behind it. I, I never really thought of it that way before, Janet. Uh, yeah. Very, I mean, you, you, this is your spot. You are the guru <laughs> in this space. Uh, so thank you. Thank you so much for sharing. You're that. welcome. Uh, we're going we're gonna to dig into a couple of quick, quick fire questions. Uh, some other things that uh, come to mind. Just want you to, to, to share. Boom, boom, boom. Uh, first one, it's always interesting to, you know, understand and hear, what book are you reading? What book do you recommend? You know, one of my favorite books, and I've, I've reread it for like the second time now. Um, I got it when it was first redistributed back in 2004. So I'm, I'm dating myself, but it's a good one. And it's titled Dreams from My Father, A Story of Race and Inheritance. It's actually a memoir by President Barack Obama, who... At the time that the book was republished in 2004, he was just elected to the U.S. Senate for Illinois, and he also gave the DNC keynote address. And what I love about this book, one, it keeps you grounded, right? It, it brings back memories of your childhood and what your parents may have told you and how you grow up to interact with others. But the key thing that I love about this book is you accept and embrace your race, your heritage, and your differences. But also know that you can share that with the world. Even if people do not want you to, you still can share it with the world. And yes, you can still have an impact. It's, it's just one of those great books that you read once and then you find yourself reading it again. And you, you always get something, a takeaway that you didn't get the first time. So that's, that's one of my favorites. Awesome. Uh, the next one is around that younger Janet, right? If you were there, maybe down in Oklahoma, maybe you're flipping the, the French fries. Uh, maybe it was in, in the next role between, you know, assistant, generalist, manager, regional manager. What's one tip that you would have given to your younger self? Janet, do this a little bit sooner. Don't do that. What would it have been? Yeah, the opinions of others don't matter. <laughs> There's Got a it. difference between giving advice and guidance. 
But all those opinions, all of those talkings, and all, you know, I had to block out the noise. And, you know, I really blocked out the noise when it came to, do you take this promotion and you leave and you move from where your family is to a state uh, that is like Pennsylvania. Okay, that's great. I have cousins somewhere in this state, but they're not in Pittsburgh. And you do what is right for you. And you wanted to become a Steelers fan, so I. Oh, absolutely! <laughs> yeah, that yeah, that probably was really you know <laughs> the real reason. <laughs> <laughs> just, just so we're, we're all on the same page there. Uh, hey, Janet, I, I've heard you talk about biking before. Are you are you a cyclist? Is that something that you do? Yeah, I I'm one of those cyclists that do it just for fun. Now I am not one that's going to ride on the bike trail from Pittsburgh to DC because I've heard horror stories about that. But I do like to bicycle and I've done the bicycle trail right along downtown on the North Shore, which is one of the cool bike trails that that they really could have created in Pittsburgh. But one of my favorite things is riding the bike trail at Prescott State Park. And so that going around that loop is 13.5 miles one time. And so I was just doing my little casual fun biking here. And then I was like, where else can I go? And a, a coworker of mine said, hey, there's a bike trail. Prescott State Park is 13 and a half miles. And I was like, ooh, okay, why not? So the day that I got there, I was like, okay, Janet, if you can do it one time, who says you can't do it twice? Just do 27 miles in one day. I've always wanted to, I'm not a runner. I wanted to do a full marathon, but I was like, ooh, I can't run it. <laughs> I don't know if I'm going to be able to walk it, but I did it. I bicycled it. The first time I got on the trail, it has been a blast. And every Labor Day, that is where you will find me at Prescott State Park, uh, riding the bike trail. I get there bright and early. I rent my bike. They open at nine. And then I just zoop through it. I zip through it twice and do my 27 miles. It's, it's fun. It's good. I would recommend it to anyone. All right. So there's some, some, you can have fun outside of work. Outside of work. You're, you're still, let's see, how, how many ants do we have? Even with those three ants. <laughs> you can work, but it's that piece of, of work, work-life balance. Yeah, I love it's, it. it's the bicycling, but also one time someone asked me, one time, what do I do? And I told him, I said, I'm an HRD that, and they were like, what is that? And then I had to really tell them what I do, but I survive off sugar and shopping as well. So I get the bike in. So I sugar up, I ride the bike trail and then I treat myself and, and buy myself something. So I love and that it. goes right back to where we started the conversation about the, the mindfulness and the well-being. And yes. Jen, just a couple of the notes, you know, over these two pages of notes that I took throughout this awesome conversation. You know, starting from the, the, the French fry station and Franklin's story on, on being firm from private sector to public sector and running the show in so many different uh, capacities along the way and bringing those great people with you and listening to them all based on telling the truth and uh, under promising and maybe over delivering, not the other way around. Uh, rooted in honesty and just being real with everybody along the way has helped you and major time helped you through mm -hmm. this kind of Y2K 
uh, of, of HR. I love that piece that you said. Y2K for IT is what COVID did for HR. So Janet, thanks for sharing you know, yeah. more of these insights about the great reevaluation uh, and, and everything that you're doing for the city of Pittsburgh, for our people. Looking forward to many more conversations. Uh, and, and thanks for being part of this today. Peter, it has been my pleasure. And I hope for those that are watching and listening that you have gained some insight. And if you were teetering on the thought process of let me get out of this profession, it's too much, it's been, it's been too much for me to deal with for the past several years, I fully understand. However, you have more to contribute and do for your workplace. You have more to contribute and add value to that is still within you. And right now you're tired. I would say take a rest. Rest as in don't get out of the profession, but take some days off and really disconnect. Don't have your work phone, don't do any of that. And then get back into it. You know, HR, we have always been on. And we have been on the forefront, just like first responders and everyone else. And so I say to all of my HR colleagues and peers, I applaud you for the work that you have done for maintaining your workplace and keeping it going during the pandemic and even post-pandemic. You've got this and I am applauding you because I know you will do it. So thank you again for this time and uh, stay safe and take care. In a world where businesses are coming to terms with the demands of employee choice, solutions to improve workplace culture are crucial. Businesses of all sizes are doing everything they can to attract and retain top talent during this unprecedented time. Connection to the team, a sense of belonging, and a feeling of purpose rank high in the needs of today's work-from-anywhere society. Sound familiar? At Lattice, we understand the importance team building and positive employee-employer relationships have on the success of a workplace. Done well, top-down and peer-to-peer -peer knowledge sharing can unlock new levels of productivity and profitability to create a culture of cohesive collaboration. Ongoing high-quality connections reduce burnout and mitigate mental health issues, more important now than ever with social isolation on the rise. Lattice is a tool to make internal employee engagement easier and much more impactful for the entire organization. Lattice is a proven, secure workplace solution that is easy to implement for organizations of all sizes. So what are you waiting for? Let's Lattice. The PHRA P4 podcast was created to help build HR readers through discussions with thought and business leaders on the most critical success factor of any business, its people. If you enjoy an episode, please help us spread the word by subscribing to the podcast and providing us a rating. We would love for you to take a screenshot of the episode, tag PHRA, and share it with your followers. Until next time, thank you for watching and thank you for listening.